everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. And then there was none. LSU falls short against Southern Miss in the winner-take-all game yesterday afternoon. Their season comes to an end, and that means no teams from the state of Louisiana moving on to the Super Regionals. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the game studios on this tremendous Tuesday morning by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. we got a great show lined up for you today, as always. That's the bar we have around here. We try not to reach it, yet it just naturally happens that way. Our apologies. For being awesome. We got three guests on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company to break down what in the Tar Nation, the executive committee of the Louisiana High School Athletic Association decided to do by making a bunch of schools that are technically public schools, making them select distinction last week <laughs> I was like what all the schools in Lafayette all the public schools in Lafayette Parish are now select schools except for one Southside High excuse me that doesn't make any sense you're correct it doesn't we'll explain those shenanigans Hunter Bauer our buddy from gopreps.com will be joining us at 8 30 this morning to break it all down for us to kind of huh, make it not seem so muddy at straight up 8 o'clock, Jarrett Rozier, our recruiting analyst, our preferred recruiting analyst reporter, will break down the latest in the world of recruiting for LSU, the K. Jones, and maybe some Cowboys talk as well. That'll be coming up at 8 o'clock. And then Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, will be joining us to put the finishing touches on the Raging Cajuns baseball season, which came to an end on Sunday. Of course, We'll touch on NBA playoffs, Houston Astros, who continue to struggle against the Seattle Mariners. Mariners can't beat anybody else, but they can beat the Astros. It's an interesting thing going on this season. And of course, we'll touch on all the big topics of the day. We'll take your phone calls. You know the game hotline's open. We love to hear from you. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we got to start off with LSU. And what it boils down to is the thing that we talked about throughout the season, the thing we talked about heading into the SEC tournament, and the question that we kept asking through this NCAA regional, heading into the NCAA a regional in Hattiesburg was this. Does LSU have enough pitching? And we got our answer. They do not. This is what it boiled down to. 
This is what this came down because this came down to who can win essentially a three-game series. Take the dramatics out of it. Take coming back against Kinsall State and scoring 10 runs in the eighth inning. Take back coming back with two outs and tying the game against Southern Miss on Saturday night and forcing a winner game all. I mean, forcing extra innings, which LSU won. This regional essentially came down to a best of three series. LSU versus Southern Miss. And LSU took game one in extra innings. And then they lost the next two games. Because LSU doesn't have the pitching. Has nothing to do with their hitting. We've talked a lot about, oh, their defense isn't very good. And no, their defense was not very good this year. You can look at that as a contributing factor. Absolutely, you can. Absolutely. But it comes down to pitching. And the Tigers don't have it. They thought they were going to have two good guys early in the year when Blake Money was tearing it up against the likes of Maine and others. But Blake Money ended up not being the Friday night guy. Blake Money ended up being a guy you couldn't even put in the rotation by the end of the season. And Mikhail Hilliard, a grinder, good teammate, good player, good Tiger, loves playing for LSU. He was inserted into the Friday night role and was able to perform well for LSU. But he's not a Friday night starter. He's not a frontline starter. He's the only guy they had. Now, you could... You know, get Vitmeyer and get Fondo to come out of the pen to eat up innings. That's right. But that's always a dangerous game that you play. If you're that reliant on your bullpen. Or in the case of LSU under first-year head coach Jay Johnson, so reliant on being able to outslug the competition. There are going to be days where you're not going to be able to do that. This is baseball. It's not home run derby. It's baseball. And there are going to be days where those bats go silent. There are going to be days where you can't buy a hit. And you need your pitching to carry you. You need them to lead the way. If LSU would have had another pitcher on staff this season that was just as good or even a ring below Mikhail Hilliard. They host a regional for one, and they win this regional this past weekend. They didn't have the pitching. They just didn't have the pitching. Southern Miss was a good team. We talked about, look at their resume, look who they had defeated this year. They took two of three from Louisiana Tech and the Raging Cajuns, and they beat Ole Miss, and they beat Alabama, and they beat defending national champion Mississippi State. So they, are, they were no joke, but they weren't a perfect team. They weren't a dominant team. But at the end of the day, the team who had their pitcher throw over 100 pitches on Friday compared to LSU, whose pitcher only threw 55, Southern Miss had more pitching. 
because neither starter was all that good yesterday in the winner-take-all game at the Hattiesburg Regional. They just weren't because they didn't have anything left in the tank. They were playing on three days rest or less than three days rest, actually. And these are college kids. They haven't been trained and haven't been built on how to turn around on three days rest yet because they haven't been playing in a minor league system or a big league system to kind of train them on that's what is expected of you. They're in a system where you play once a week. You pitch once a week. And LSU just didn't have the pitching. LSU did not have the pitching. And they had a golden opportunity as well if they won, pun in, pun not intended, by the way, to host a super regional. That was already determined. Because Miami being upset in the Coral Gables regional, the host team there, whoever won that regional between Ole Miss and Arizona would have went to either Hattiesburg or LSU, Baton Rouge, for the Supers. That was already predetermined. Only thing LSU had to do was win one more game against Southern Miss. They could come home to Alex Box Stadium, host the Super Regionals for yet another year, or take part in a Super Regional for yet another year. That's all they had to do. But this is why you play the games. This is why. Because beforehand... Everyone thought that this was a slam dunk. And it was a regional setup for LSU to win. Let's be fair. On paper, Kinsall State and others not exactly moving the needle. But as we found out, it was a little bit more competitive regional than expected. And this LSU team was flawed. They needed to rally to beat Kinsall State. They needed to rally to beat Southern Miss. And when they had the opportunity to close out the regional and win it and go ahead and prepare to host the Super Regionals in Baton Rouge, they weren't able to do it on Sunday. Southern Miss had to win an extra game. And then it comes to Monday. Winner take all. Another opportunity for LSU to close the door, win the regional, punch their ticket to the Supers. And they were unable to do so. They just unable to do so. Neither Hilliard nor Hall were all that great. Once again, Hall threw 110 pitches on Friday. Hilliard threw 55. But that didn't matter. This was going to be everything in the kitchen sink kind of game. And every team was going to throw what they could throw in this ballgame. And Southern Miss was just a better team. And, and that's what it boils down to as well. As great as this lineup is for LSU, as great as Dylan Cruz was this year, he's deservingly deserved being named co-player of the year in the SEC. Absolute stud. And other guys stepped up. Trey Morgan, Jacob Berry, Jobert. That lineup is killer. Make no bones about it. 
But Southern Miss was the better team. And they were better because they had one thing going for them. LSU's lineup, better. LSU's lineup, better recruits. LSU's team probably has, without a doubt, better Major League Baseball prospects. But it came down to one thing and one thing only. Pitching. Came down to pitching. Who had more of it? Because when you're playing a best of three series like they essentially were there at the Hattiesburg Regional, who has more arms? Who has the better arms? And Southern Miss proved, especially in last night's 8-7 win, that they had the better arms. And they had the more arms. They had more arms. And look, anyone that's covered LSU all season long would tell you pitching is an issue and something they're going to have to address in this recruiting cycle because they have the hitters. Jay Johnson knows hitting. That's his specialty, the first-year coach that came over from Arizona. He knows how to get guys to rake. This team had no problems hitting the ball this year. They had one guy that was a serviceable pitcher. And LSU appeared to be in control here. And that's the thing, frustrating thing if you're a Tiger fan. You get to their starting pitching early, right there in the first inning. Three runs are scored. And as it heads to the fourth inning, LSU, who was the home team in this game, led 4-1. to 4-1. to one. In a winner-take-all game, 4-1. to one. Until it wasn't. Two runs in the fourth for Southern Miss. Then they add four runs in the seventh. Your pitchers are giving up four spots in innings. LSU fought back. Got two runs in the seventh. That made things interesting. And then they tied it in the bottom of the eighth, 7-7. But Southern Miss got what they needed. One more run there in the ninth. And that was enough. And LSU got plenty of hits, right? K. Doty, two hits in this game, three runs scored. Jacob Berry got a hit. Dylan Cruz got a hit. Josh Pearson got a hit. Trey Morgan, Jordan Thompson each got two hits. Lineup wasn't the problem. Seven runs on 11 hits should get the job done. Should get the job done. But it didn't. LSU threw seven different pitchers. Seven. Hilliard only lost, uh, lasted three innings. Gave up two runs on five hits. They bring in Gervais. He's okay. One run on two hits and three innings of work. But he walked three batters. Jacob Hasty was not great. Didn't even get an out. Run. Done. They bring in Devin Fondo. He gives up two runs. Only one of them earned. Bryce Collins comes in for Devin Fondo. Are you following yet? We're still not out of the inning. The seventh inning was brutal. An absolute old school Mortal Kombat brutality type of inning where you just went, wow, the wheels are coming off for LSU. Hasty can't even get an out. Gets tagged with a run. Fondo only gets one out, gives up two runs. Only one of them heard. Bryce Collins comes in. Guess what? He gives up a run, too. 
Vittmeyer finally comes in to stop the bleeding to get them out of the inning, but they needed to use four different pitchers in the seventh inning. Four. And Rieselman comes in to try to bring him home for the last two innings, but he gave up the one run, and that was the difference. LSU used seven different pitchers. They used had to use four pitchers in one inning alone. That's why they lost. Their pitching is why LSU didn't host a regional. Their pitching is why they didn't win the closeout game on Sunday night. And their pitching is why they lost last night. Jay Johnson has to make it a priority. And I know the argument. I've heard it before. Ray, their best, you know, they go over these great pitching prospects, but then they get drafted in Major League Baseball. You're correct. When you're LSU, you have to figure out a way to be able to get pitching prospects to come to LSU and then, more importantly, develop them because the top-end guys are more than likely going to go pro. This is not a new problem for LSU. This has been a problem for LSU since 1985. That was before Hannah Five Names was born. So I'm pretty sure you can figure it out. LSU falls short. Just don't have enough quality pitching. It comes back to bite them in the tuchus as they fall 8-7 to seven in the winner-take-all game in the Hattiesburg Regional. Their season ends at 40 wins and no hosting of Super Regionals for the Tigers. We got to take a timeout. Good start to today's show. Love to hear from you about LSU and how their season ended. Give us a call. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, today's going to be the day that you're going to sign up for the game clubhouse. Not only is it free to join, but you're going to get the chance to enter to win tremendous free gifts like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. That's right. Mouth-watering steaks cooked to perfection exactly how you want them. Tremendous sides and so much more. You can have a good time at Mr. Lester's. Whether you want to take your lady down for a nice night on the town or you just want to go hang with the fellas, hit up the machines, maybe hit up a little blackjack, does not matter. You can cap off your night by going to Mr. Lester's. Once again, $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou. But you can only win 
that by becoming a member of our clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. It's free to do so. It's easy to do so. Just visit 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today so you can score that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse. LSU falls short, 8-7 loss to Southern Miss in the winner-take-all regional finale there in Hattiesburg. They had two opportunities to win this game. I mean, two opportunities to win the regional. Remember, they beat Southern Miss on Saturday. Southern Miss had to play extra innings game on Sunday just to get back to have another chance to face LSU. They beat LSU on Sunday night to force the winner-take-all game yesterday afternoon. So LSU could have closed out this regional and hosted the Supers because Miami, the national seed, the host at the Coral Gables regional, was eliminated. So whoever won the Hattiesburg regional was going to host the Supers. How great would that have been? Super regional inside Alex Box Stadium. Woo! Now you're talking. But it wasn't meant to be. Because the pitching for LSU was football. Yet again. And that's the biggest glaring need, right? I mean, that's what it boils down to. That's their biggest need. you got to figure out who you're going to help. Because you, you have to help your lineup. Yes, it's great. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely phenomenal having the lineup that they have where you can just knock the tar out of the ball day in, day out. But you have to get better pitching. Their team ERA was almost five. So your pitching staff is rolling out, giving up five runs a game. Not optimal. Not great. Just not great. And besides Hilliard, I mean, who else Who else can you trust? Devin Fondo, ERA of nearly five. He was coming out of the pen, and he got a couple of wins for him this year. Blake Money, as we talked about, started off so strong, but then ended up the season two and four on the bench with an ERA of 5.31. Maybe Ty Floyd is one of those guys. Maybe. But I don't think he's a Friday night starter. I don't even think he's a Saturday starter. Who are you going to count on? Who are you going to turn to here for your pitching? And that's what it boiled down to. LSU didn't have the dogs. They didn't have enough pitching to win this regional. And that was a big question mark that we talked about on this show, on this station, a week ago. All last week, does this team have enough pitching to get to the regional? And we had multiple guests come on, and they said, yeah, they should. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. They can outslug anyone. But eventually, you need someone to come into the game to get a stop, man. And the seventh inning last night, They used four different pitchers. 
They had to use four pitchers to get out of one inning. One. One. Not optimal. You can't win. I don't care how good you are, how talented you are. I don't care how talented you are. Does not matter. But you got to have enough pitching. And Devin Fawno was not nearly as good this year as everyone thought he was going to be. Hilliard was okay. Blake Money imploded as the season progressed. Vitmeyer, I guess, was pretty reliable coming out the pin. Pretty reliable. But unfortunately, they just didn't have enough pitching. Still a good season, all in all. Up and down season for LSU. Some series that you would want to have back in your back pocket for sure. Some of them you'd like to go, "Mm, can we get that back? But still, all in all, get to an NCAA regional, get all the way to a regional championship. Fall just short. So that leads us to our poll question of the day. How would you rate LSU season? Was it pretty good? Was it average? Or was it disappointing? That's our poll question of the day. How would you rate LSU season now that it's in the books? They get to 40 wins. They win 18 games in the SEC. 40 wins overall. And they reach the championship round of a regional, NCAA regional. That seems to be, it should be pretty good. Especially considering it's the first season of the Jay Johnson era. It's always a transitional year, that first year. So we want to hear from you. How would you rate LSU's season now that it's over? And right now, 50% of you say average, 40% say pretty good, 10% say disappointing. A slew of comments already on the poll question of the day. Steve says, as I said yesterday, J.J. couldn't manage a snowball stand if he wins a college World Series, I will jog around Evangeline Downs naked. Can we put this on the board? Team looks like monsters one week and Little League the next. It all starts at the top. Everyone keeps dreaming this guy is the answer. He's an average coach at best. Salty Steve with the salty take on a Tuesday. My man's not holding back. Plus, he's putting himself out there. He's throwing the gauntlet down saying, if this guy wins a college World Series championship at LSU, he will run around the horse track buck naked. Go ahead and document that for future future reference. Producer extraordinary, Hannah, five names. Go ahead and put that in the file. JPK, the OD, says, pretty good. New coach is settling in but still has some work to do. But you just knew with this team's consistent inconsistency that they would eventually crash and burn, but it was a wild ride. There's something to that. They were up and down all year, right? One weekend to the next, you didn't know what to expect from LSU. Steve hinted at that as well. One week they look like monsters, the next week they look like a Little League team. 
They were never consistent. Get swept at home by Ole Miss one weekend, go on the road, sweep Vanderbilt the next. Beat Kentucky in the SEC tournament, turn around and lose to Kentucky in the SEC tournament. JPK, the OD, has added an additional comment. How I felt every time we sat down to watch this LSU team play with mediocre pitching and great bats. All nights, it's an old gift of the crash test dummies. John Paul, Cajun Daddy, says, good considering new coach and a bunch of new players. So I was wrong. The Pac-12 got more teams into the Supers than the Sun Belt, and Stanford made it out of their regional. Yeah, Stanford was able to survive Texas State. Robert Duplichan says, pretty good. Didn't end how some of us wanted, but they will be better next year. And they got a lot of dogs coming back next year. But once again, my big question mark for this team all season long was pitching. Are they going to be able to address it? And look, it's just not getting the guys to come to LSU. That's half the battle, right? Getting guys to say, don't go pro, don't go sign the minor league contract, come to Baton Rouge, play for the Tigers. That's the first hurdle that you have to get when you try to get quality pitching, okay? The second one is actually developing said pitching once they suit up for you. That's been a problem at LSU for a little while. Madison Lashanay says, we knew they couldn't pitch before the season started. The fact that they were one win away from the Supers with absolutely no pitching is pretty good. I would argue with that. I think that's a fair comment. Once again, poll question of the day. How would you rate LSU's season? 50% of you say average. 40% of you say pretty good. 10% say disappointing. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, though, we got to take a timeout. Phone lines are open. Game hotline. We want to hear from you. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Who's going to step up and throw their hat in the ring to be the game changer of the week? I know it's early, but it's never too early for a good phone call. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. Yep. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite is the South's largest cultured marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and bathrooms, though. Did you know they can also take your outdoor living spaces to another level and help your home become the envy of the neighborhood during game days this fall when you're there cheering on the raging Cajuns, Tigers, Cowboys, or Saints? Go visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. So look, if you want to transform your man cave or your outdoor living space into the absolute best, the show-stopping 
game day experience, then you got to go visit my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite. Once again, visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Or simply stop by their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford. Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business. And trust me, earn it, they will. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. What do you make of LSU season now that it's come to a close? 40 wins, 18 wins in the SEC. And they advance to the final of an NCAA regional. First year of Jay Johnson's tenure at the helm. What do you make of it? Some of you have already come in with the saltiness. Some of it, some of you have come a little bit more reserved. For the LSU standard, the standard at LSU, this is a disappointing season. Didn't host a regional. Got swept at home by Ole Miss for the first time ever. And had a couple opportunities to advance to a super regional, which they would have hosted. Didn't get it done. So for the standard that's been set at LSU for 30 years, or a little bit longer than 30 years, about 35 years now, this falls short of the expectations. But in a transitional year, it's pretty good, right? I know Steve is, doesn't, does, isn't high on Jay Johnson. I think it's too early to tell on these things. I mean, Smoke Laval had a lot of great success early on at LSU, and then the wheels came off. So you can't judge on the first season alone. There are some things that do stand out to me. Remember, Paul Maneri, the program hadn't been great the last couple of years. So it had dipped down a little bit when Paul was dealing with his physical ailments in his neck and the death of his father. The program took a turn, dipped a little bit. So anytime you take over a program that's dipped a little bit, it takes a little while to bring it back to the standard. Look at what Matt Deggs and the UL Raging Cajuns. The Cajuns had dipped down a little bit even before Tony died. So it took Deggs three years to get to a regional. So I'm willing to be patient, right? I'm never one to jump to get rid of a coach. I want to see what they can do. Give them a few recruiting cycles. Give them a full year. What definitely stands out to me about Jay Johnson and his staff is they know how to hit. They know how to develop hitters. Look at what they've done with Joe Bear. Look what they did with Dylan Cruz, who went from a very good player to an absolute monster. They know hitters. They know how to rake. Do they know pitching? Because this year feels like they didn't know how to deal with pitching. So they got to get somebody in there that can develop these arms and figure out and get some guys that can actually pitch. Because they didn't have enough pitching. That's what it boils down to for me. So I think it's a pretty good year. It's one of missed opportunities, but still a pretty good year. Afterwards, obviously, the Tigers were disappointed. And, you know, it's a disappointing end to the season. They had the opportunity to host the Super Regionals. They were unable to do so. But Jay Johnson said afterwards just how proud of this team he was. I think so. Um, that's a foundational piece of, of building a program that I think we can point to. I mean, we didn't win this regional, but I think those two games are 
special games that we can point to as good examples of the way we want it to look moving forward. Um, you know, we have good players, though, too. I mean, these guys are really good players. And um, there's there's some things to be proud of. And, I mean, well, I mean, I want to win the national championship. That's why I came to LSU is to make a bunch of runs at winning a national title. And I get it. Like, we didn't do that. But there's some things to be proud of that, that these guys did and, and how they fought and competed. I am proud of that. So he's proud of that. Once again, it's a transitional year. Now, if you're an LSU fan and you're watching your team struggle with putting together competent, consistent pitching for the next three years and you're still not getting out of regionals then, then you can go, eh, right? If we're talking three years down the road and you're still – haven't made an appearance to the College World Series, and you're still struggling to developing consistent pitching, then that's something to be mindful of. Right now, after only one year, not ready to go there. Dylan Cruz had a monster year, SEC co-player of the year, and man, he really developed with his glove work this year and even became even more of a monster at the plate, and he shared his thoughts about the disappointing end to the Tiger season. Yeah, it's obviously very tough right now. You know, I'm kind of at a loss for words, but um, you know, we uh, we gave it our we gave it all we had. You know, just there was never a thought in my mind that we were going to lose that game. Or you know, it's just that's a great program. We got, we got you know great arms, great players all around, great coaches. So it's just it's I'm at a loss for words right now. But you know, it's, it sucks. Um, it just wasn't our time, I guess. Just wasn't their time. Not because they can't hit, but because, you know, they don't have enough pitching. They used four pitchers in the seventh inning. Four. They had a pitcher come in, throw f- five pitches, walk a batter, was pulled. Done. I don't care who you are, you're not going to win many games that way. Gavin Dugas also tried to put his feelings into words after last night's game as well. Uh, it's, it's hard to put into words right now. I'm, I'm proud of how we competed. You can't prepare for anything like this. This is the, this is the worst time of the year, watching your season coming in. But I'm proud of uh, how we did with this team and what we've had. And, I know that I'm going to have all those guys back for the rest of their lives. And I wish it could have went further. And I truly believe we could have, but it's baseball is the way it is sometimes. Um, but I'm just proud of this team. How proud how we played today. Hattiesburg will now host the Super Regionals, and they're going to do so against – this is going to sting a little bit for LSU fan. Ole Miss Rebels. Remember when Ole Miss was one of the worst teams in the SEC? Looked like they were going to fire their coach or part ways with their coach. Then they turned their season around in large part by sweeping LSU at home for the first time ever. Yeah, they beat Arizona yesterday 22 to 6. 22 to 6. Yet another football score over the weekend for NCAA regional play. Ole Miss 
will play at Southern Miss and all Mississippi Super Regional. Southern Miss hosting the Super Regionals, a Super Regional for the first time in program history, by the way. They had never done that before. A little bit of an accomplishment for them. Vandy falls short. Oregon State ends up winning the Corvallis Regional. UConn, the big surprise, knocks off national seed Maryland in that regional. And Arkansas, there you go, takes down Oklahoma State 7-3. to So the Razorbacks out of the SEC West are going to the Supers as well, just like Ole Miss. That's going to sting a little bit. We got to take a timeout. That sting will only be temporary, not to worry. We'll come back. We'll wrap up our number one, update the poll question of the day. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, your Super Regionals are now set. Here's your matchups. Tennessee, your number one overall seed, is going to be taking on Notre Dame. Notre Dame was the two seed in the Statesboro Regional. They win that. Tennessee, Notre Dame, boy, that should be a good Super. East Carolina will be hosting Texas. Both of those won their Regionals. That should be interesting. East Carolina was able to hold off Coastal Carolina to advance there. And the other regional matchup, super regional matchup, Texas A&M, Louisville. They both won their regionals. Louisville was tested by Michigan, who won the Big Ten tournament. They'll be matched up. That could be really, really good super regional. Intriguing super regional is Vatek, who will be hosting. They easily won the Blacksburg regional. They'll be hosting Oklahoma. Oklahoma was the three seed in the Gainesville regional. They were one of the upsets. They moved on. They're one of the hottest teams in the country, Oklahoma, Vitek. That should be a good super regional. Auburn survives their regional. I was surprised how well they played, especially as inconsistent as they played all year. Auburn moves on, and they get to go play Oregon State, who was tested and pushed by Vandy, but was able to survive. Oregon State, one of the perennial powers in college baseball, will host Auburn in a super regional. We already talked about the all-Mississippi super regional as Southern Miss will host a Super for the first time in program history. When Ole Miss comes to town, you're Southern Miss. You're not happy about that. Just saying. You're happy that you're hosting a Super, but Ole Miss is not the team that you would like to face. Arkansas was one of the upsets as well. They take down Oklahoma State to win the Stillwater Regional. They're going to play North Carolina in the Supers. And then finally, the Yukon Huskies. What? Are we talking women's basketball? No. We're talking NCAA baseball. UConn advances, wins the College Park Regional. They'll take on Stanford, the number two national seed in the Supers. So your Super Regionals are set, but will not be featuring LSU. Hour number one in the books, hour number two coming up. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to the show, 7.03 on this Tuesday morning. Tremendous Tuesday morning, if you will, here on the RP3 and Company. We spent the entirety of our number one breaking down LSU baseball. They played the winner-take-all regional finale against Southern Miss in the Hattiesburg Regional and came up short, losing 8-7. to seven. They had two games to close this out to host a Super Regional at Alex Box Stadium against what ended up being Ole Miss, and it was not to be. Not to be. Using four pitchers in the seventh inning, the wheels fall off as LSU's biggest bugaboo of the year, which has been their pitching, the lack of average to good pitching, reared its ugly head yet again. And there you go. And that's why they lost. It came down to a best two out of three series with Southern Miss. They took game one in extra innings, but lost the next two. And this team, as good as they are, as good as they are when it comes to hitting the ball, they are unable to pitch. Hilliard is pretty good. Hilliard's not a pro. Right, He's not going to this show. And they pushed him, moved him over into the Friday night role after Blake Money just self-destructed. You got to have more than one pretty good pitcher on staff. Devin Fondo did not live up to being the veteran that we all expected him to be. They just didn't have enough guys. They didn't have enough arms. And you have to. To have multiple pitchers. Go back to the last time LSU had a legitimate chance to win a College World Series title. That year got derailed because their star, their best pitcher, got injured. Suffered a severe injury before the College World Series. Or during the College World Series, if I remember properly. And they ended up losing to Florida that year. They still had good pitching on that team. They didn't have enough. You have to have the arms to win in college baseball. Even back in the day when LSU was perfecting gorilla ball, they still had good pitchers. You got to have more than one. You got to have more than one. That leads us to our poll question of the day. And you guys have been fired up about it which I love to see. Poll question of the day. How would you rate LSU's season now that it's over? Once again, Jay Johnson in his first year at the helm, the former Arizona Wildcats head coach, wins 40 games, wins 18 games in SEC play, and gets to a regional final. But here's the deal. The standard, or what LSU fans expect from their baseball program, is not losing in regional finals, is it? 
They expect super regional appearances. They expect college World Series appearances. That's what they expect. They expect winning SEC championships. Tigers did none of those things. But it is a transitional year. First year of the Jay Johnson era here. So you're going to have to be a little bit patient. Hate to say it that way, but you're going to have to be. Poll question of the day. How would you rate LSU season? Right now it's tied. 42% of you say pretty good. 42% say average. 16% say disappointing. Brad on Twitter. Always love seeing Brad comment. Average and disappointing. Some great moments, but overall not acceptable. Still love LSU baseball, but now we can completely turn our attention to football. Go Tigers! My man's ready for football season. Less than 100 days away. Less than 100 days away. LSU has to figure out their pitching situation. And once again, it can't be... Well, Ray, when they sign these guys, they're great guys and they get they go to the big leagues. Yeah, that's been a problem at LSU for 35 years. Not only pitchers, but everyday position players as well. This is nothing new. When you're an elite program, you recruit elite talent, it's going to get poached by Major League Baseball. This is what happens. This hasn't changed. This is not a 2022 development. This has been going on for 35 years. So what are you going to do about it? Does Jay Johnson go into the transfer portal? Do you go find someone that you see has potential, but then you have to develop said potential? Maybe they're not good enough to be drafted in the first three to four rounds of the Major League Baseball amateur draft, but you can get them and have them in your system for a couple of years, and then more importantly, you can develop them That way, when they leave LSU, then they can become a second, third, or fourth round draft pick. That's what you're going to have to do. Jay knows hitting. That's his bread and butter. That's what he's good at. That's what he knows better than anything. But you got to be able to have enough pitching if you want to win championships. Let's go to Facebook for some comments on our poll question of the day once again how would you rate lsu season pretty good average or disappointing jude says pretty good team went as far as they could with not much pitching at all i'm excited about the future go tigers i love the optimism from jude as always she's like hey you know what season's over thinking about the future Nick says, J.J. inherited a team with no pitching. He won 40 games and made it to the final bracket of a regional. I'd also say pretty good. At least he has a direction he's trying to take, a master plan. Once again, I agree with what Nick says there. You have to let this play out. 40 wins, and the roster wasn't great that he inherited. In particular, the pitching. Now, that falls on Jay to fix it, right? That's why you've been hired. You're the man at LSU. It's your job to fix things. Program had dipped under Paul. Love Paul. Seriously, love Paul Maneri. Great guy. But he let things dip, right? But it's on Jay to fix it. Plain and simple. Martin has chimed in 
in particular about Salty Steve's bet. Take notes here. Producer extraordinary and a five names. Martin boldly says, looks like Salty Steve will be running around the racetrack naked because I do think once Jay gets his recruits in and builds this team like he wants, he will win at least one college World Series. But I got $100 that Steve doesn't make it through the first stretch of Evangeline Downs without running out of breath. I think Jay had a good first season as the Kiddens head coach, and that's coming from a Bama fan. Roll Tide. Martin says the next season will begin in good old salty Steve will still be trying to make his way around the track. Are we, is there, is there, is there some beef going on on social media between Martin and salty Steve? Brian Fox has chimed in on Facebook. Pretty good with no pitching or defense. Yeah, that's the other part. We haven't really focused in on that. I appreciate Brian bringing that up here in his comments on our poll question of the day. Number one priority for LSU, get better and more consistent pitching. Number one, right? But if you went 1A, 1B here, 1B has to be the defense because it was awful. Awful. They couldn't pitch and they couldn't play defense. So to win 40 games when you can't pitch, and you don't have enough pitching, and you can't play really good defense, and you still won 40 games, just tells you just how good the lineup is. But you got to fix both of those things. Once again, I'm a guy when a coach comes in three to four years. That's me. But but I'm 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 patient. Right? I'm not ready to pull the trigger. I'm not quick reaction guy. I'm just not. You you got you got to give people time to settle in. I don't care what profession you in you're in, whether you're a pipe fitter, an offshore welder, a truck driver, a teacher, an electrician. It really doesn't matter. You need time to settle in. Because I don't care how talented you are, I don't care how naturally gifted you are, and whatever you may do, it takes time. You got to give people time to settle in. I understand Steve may not believe in Jay Johnson's ability to lead this team, but you got to at least give them the chance to either prove you right or prove you wrong. Three to four seasons is usually a good indicator when it comes to coaches. When you get to the end of year three or year four, you're around year three, year four, and they've had a couple of cycles of recruiting. They've also had a couple of years to establish their off-season programs and establish their culture. Then you can go back and go, okay, well, if they're just treading water or not. Remember, Smoke Laval had a great success early on replacing Skip Burtman. Smoke was a good guy. LSU was too big of a job for him. It just was. And then the wheels came off. Paul Maneri needed a couple of years to get things up and running. Ends up winning a national title. But then Paul stayed too long. So you got to give coaches time. That's my only thing. You got to give coaches time. And you got to give coaches the opportunity to fix the issues. You ever go to a new job in your life, in your career, and things are not great, and they bring in somebody new? Do you pass judgment after six months? Or does it sometimes take 
a while to change things and to implement new procedures and to implement new methods of doing things. It takes time, right? It doesn't matter if you're at the fast food restaurant or a dock worker. It takes time. So let's give Jay some time here. But if it's two years from now, let's say we're wrapped up year number three of the Jay Johnson era and they're still not getting out of regionals and they're still struggling with their defense and they're still struggling with finding consistent pitching, then there probably is cause for concern. Keep those comments coming. Keep those votes coming on both Facebook and Twitter for our poll question of the day. Now that LSU baseball season is in the books, how do you rank it? How do you feel about it? Was it pretty good? Was it average? Or was it disappointing? Go vote and leave your comments Plus, we'd love to hear from you. Game hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, talk a little Houston Astros baseball. Astros can beat everyone except for the Seattle Mariners, apparently. The Mariners are so bad, but yet they beat the Astros. It's just a weird thing so far through the first couple of months of this season. We'll talk about last night's defeat for the Strohs. That's coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. P3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, want to see the Astros in person? Then you got to listen up. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Chicago White Sox on Saturday, June 18th, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets. That's right, four tickets and a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astro Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian Houston Downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. How do you feel about the LSU Tigers season now that it's over? Was it pretty good? Was it average or was it disappointing? Let us know by leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter and voting on Twitter for the poll question of the day. Right now, we head out to the hotline. Welcome on Martin to the show. Martin, good morning to you, brother. What is on your mind this morning, my friend? Good morning, Mr. Ball, beautiful one. How you doing this morning? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, uh, it's a fabulous morning, but I want to touch on a few uh, a few things. Uh, one first, uh, there, uh, I have no hard feelings towards uh, 
So to Steve, I'm willing, even willing to run with him, just not in my birthday suit. Uh, <laughs> well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Marty. Because he says, he says, look, Steve says he'll put his money at the station tomorrow if you'd like. He says five names can hold it, and if he wants to match my bet, he can run around the track naked if they don't win a college World Series. In three years, we'll know. I'm sure he'll be fired by then. Woo! Woohoo! Are you ready to accept that well, bet, Martin? Wait, say that again. Are you ready to accept that bet? Oh, I, I, I'm willing to accept any bet. I'm not. There it is. Anything, but- so let me let, let's recap. I just I just want to make sure I got this. Done. So. If Jay Johnson wins a college World Series title in the next three years, Salty Steve will run around Evangeline Downs racetrack buck naked. If he does not win a college World Series title, you have now agreed that you will be the one to run around the track in your birthday suit. Is that correct? No, I said, no, 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 no. I said I'll run with him if he runs so he don't have to run alone. I'll be his motivator, but I won't do it in my birthday suit. Ain't nobody want to see that. People will be having nightmares for years to come. But uh, It's only Tuesday. I, Look at our show. <laughs> Go I ahead, Mark. What's up, bud? I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to say I'm, I'm also thankful that we didn't see no football scores last night in the NCAA regional. You know, no 29 to 15 scores or nothing like well, that. Well, except with the exception um, of Ole Miss trucking, tr- trucking poor Arizona. I mean, one. Yeah, yeah, it was only one though. Than, yeah. yeah, one's better than what was it, 18 over the weekend that we see. Yeah, it was I mean, ridiculous. I like seeing. I like seeing good close games, but I also want to kind of chime in on uh, on uh, James Mesh and uh, and Matt Miguez's little basketball game. Since I think it was a um, a good little basketball game, probably the best basketball I've seen so far, even through the playoffs. Uh, but I got a little um, challenge request uh, for their next one. How about some top golf? I'd like to see them go. Go at it in. Oh, there we go. Um, and uh, I got I got a hundred bucks on Matt Miguez, and I also want to say the dunks that uh, James Mesh was throwing down was absolutely legendary. So I, I think the Lakers will be calling him because they find just about anybody, anybody, just like the New York Yankees in the in, in baseball. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna go ahead and say it because I'm a Cowboys fan and uh. I, I, like I I'm said, sorry. I'm sorry, Martin. I live by this mantra. There's always next year. I think Jay Johnson did a fabulous job in his first year, uh, being that you know he didn't have none of his recruits in just yet. I think he's going to do fine at LSU. Uh, um, but yeah, that's all I have to say, man. Um, you have a good one. Thanks for the phone call, Martin. So, Steve threw down the gauntlet. It says, if Jay Johnson is going to win a College World Series title at LSU in the next three years, he will run around the track naked at Evangeline Downs. He challenged Martin. And Martin got so excited being on the phone with us on via the hotline that he inadvertently first agreed to it, but then clarified that he would not. If Jay Johnson does not win a College World Series title within three years, that he will not run around the birthday suit in his birthday suit around the track. But he did say that he would run in support of Steve to give him moral support. So there you go. 
All I heard is that I get to hold the money. So <laughs> the only thing five names heard was <laughs> I get to hold money. That got her attention. Will I probably disappear after I take the money? Maybe. <laughs> Someone's going on vacation permanently, never to be seen again. It was a great run having five names here. And then, <laughs> and then she decided, nah, I'm good. Let's briefly talk about the Seattle Mariners. They beat the Houston Astros. Like This is what they do. It's a weird thing. Make no bones about it. It doesn't make any sense. Logically, it should not happen. The Astros are the far superior team. Seattle is well below 500. And they're just not very good. Yet, the Mariners have the Astros number so far this year. Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names is going to look up exactly what the record is, the Astros against the Mariners, so far this season. They began a three-game series at home inside the big juice box yesterday. And Seattle wins 7-4. to 7-4. to four. Now, the two teams will play again tonight at Minute Maid Ballpark. And, of course... First pitch is going to be set for 7-10. You can hear that game right here on the game. 103-7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles. You're home for Houston Astros baseball. But what is it about the Mariners and the Strokes? The Mariners just seem to have Houston's number for whatever reason. It doesn't make any sense. just really doesn't. There's no logical reason why this is happening. The Astros are the far better team. But for whatever reason, whatever reason it might be, Seattle is just playing really well against the Astros this year. It's hard to explain. It defies logic. But yet here we are, 7-4. to four, And Seattle puts up, both teams score a run in the first inning yesterday. Then both put up three runs in the second But then it comes in late. Seattle gets a run in the top of the fourth. Then it's scoreless through the rest of the way until the ninth inning when they play two more runs to hold on for the 7-4 victory. And the Astros got plenty of hits, 10 hits, four runs. Just wasn't meant to be. Jose Altuve had a big game, three hits. Michael Brantley, three hits. But Bregman continues to have his struggles. Alvarez went 0 for 4. Yuli went 0 for 3. Did draw a walk. Both him and Alvarez did. Pena 0 for 3. So they had some guys not able to produce. Tucker, 3 hits, went 3 for 4. But Christian Javier did not have a quality outing on the bump. Once again, we've been talking about pitching all morning. There it is again. Javier only lasted 3 and 2 thirds. Gave up 5 runs on 6 hits. Struck out 4 but wasn't nearly enough, and then they had to go to their bullpen the rest of the way using six different pitchers after pulling Javier there in the fourth inning. So Christian Javier has an outing to forget. Seattle takes advantage. They add a couple of insurance runs there in the top of the ninth as they hold on for the 7-4 victory. And the Mariners, right now they are the Astros kryptonite, to use a Superman reference. For whatever reason, the folks, the team from the Emerald City has the Astros number. And we'll figure out exactly what that record is later on in today's show. We'll get that to you by the end of the hour.
But right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return, Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, will join us, put an explanation point on the Raging Cajuns baseball season coming to a close, and how bright does the future look for Matt Deggs' team. That'll be coming up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Raging Cajuns baseball team has a breakthrough season as they win the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, get to their first NCAA regional since 2016, and even win a regional game over in College Station. To put a bow on the season that was and look ahead to the bright future for the Raging Cajuns baseball program is our first guest today on RP3 and Company. He is the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, the one and only Jay Walker. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm uh, I'm I'm doing fine, you know. The, the to to quote uh, to quote an old song, the sun came out today, so it's all good. The sun came out today. All right, give me your thoughts on what you saw from the Cajuns there at the College Station Regional. They go one and two in play. They had A and M on the ropes on Saturday. Let that one kind of get away from them a little bit. A and M's a really good ball club. What do you make of what you saw from Matt Deggs' team in College Station? Well, you know, I, I thought they went out and competed. Uh, and I thought they went out and competed under tough circumstances. You know, you didn't have Connor Kimple uh, for the weekend. You lost Marshock in the first game. And on top of that, and I don't think folks stop to think about just how banged up the rest of these guys were. You know, Rockefort's playing with two bad wrists. Bayon is playing with a bad wrist. Julian Brock has been getting beat up behind the plate all season long. And yet they they – you know, got through that as best they could. But but that was, uh, look, and, 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 and this is an excuse. It's, it's simply stating facts. That was a very banged-up baseball team that went out there. Now, I'm sure that everybody else has got their share of bumps and bruises as well. But you had a bunch of guys playing hurt out there. But they, but they competed because they loved to play and they love each other. And um, I, thought it was a, I, I thought it was a courageous regional for the Cajuns. I, I think to, to beat the Big 12 champion um, in, in one of the games, I think that's an accomplishment. I, I, you know, there's a reason why they won the Big 12, for heaven's sakes. And uh, so I think, I think overall it was, a, it was a good showing there. But I also think it's um, – I, I, I also think that, that it's just – I think for Matt Deggs, it's it's just a uh, it's just a building block toward what they're trying to do with that program. It's it's a step. I think it's obviously a step in the right direction. You know, they win a back and forth affair against TCU, and you know they were able to get the win like that. Just how impressive is it 
for them to be able to do that. Once again, the Horn Frogs are the regular season champs for the Big 12. This is a perennial uh, great program in college baseball. And to be able to do that, to open up the regional was impressive, Jay. Yeah, it was. You know, because I, I think, you know, TCU can pitch a little bit. They they don't have the offense that A&M has. But, but I think they got a better pitching staff than A&M. And, um, you know, they just went out and they fought and competed uh, at the dish. You know, Veyon got him off to a great start with one of the longest home runs by a right-handed batter I've ever seen. And then, uh, you know, Trey LaFleur followed up with a shot. So they, they got off to a good start. They jumped out early, which I think was important. But one of the things I've loved about this team down the stretch, when TCU got the lead, the Cajuns shrugged their shoulders and said, okay. And then they went out and, and, and kept scoring runs and, and were able to get the win. And, you know, here you are. You're in the ninth inning, and, you know, they got the tying and winning runs on base. And what do you do? You bring in a freshman to close it. And um, I thought I thought Dylan Toy really stood up and uh, and got that job done uh, at the end of the ballgame. A&M game on Saturday. I know some fans were, you know, holding their breath because it looked like the Cajuns were going to be able to pull out the win. What was the biggest factor in that? Was it just the fact that A&M just has such a, a vaunted lineup, Jay? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that was basically it. You know, they um, – I thought the Cajuns did a good job against their starter. Um, yeah. But I thought A&M's bullpen uh, came in and pitched very well. But you're just not going to hold that offense down. That that I'll tell you, two through six, that part of their lineup's as good as any any uh, part of the lineup in the country. I mean, they're they're just really good offensively. And uh, it was one of those cases where you went out and competed, but the better team won. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, they, they lose a disappointing game on Saturday night. They have to come back around. It's always tough to, to beat a team twice in a regional. It just always is. And what was the difference on Sunday? Well, again, I, you know, I, I'm going to go back to TCU's pitching staff. Um, their bullpen came in and shut the Cajuns down over the, over the last five innings and um, you know, TCU is good enough offensively to, to put some runs up, and you're going to have to score six or seven to beat them. Um, and, and they just weren't able to do it. I, I kind of think they ran out of gas a little bit. Um, but I also – let me tell you what I was disappointed in, because this, is, this, is a, this would have been a great story behind the story had they won that game and gotten another chance to play Texas A&M. Dylan Toit was going to be the starting pitcher. Now, Dylan Toit's parents are A&M grads. And, um, you know, I, I really wish it would have happened, you know, maybe for mom and dad more than anything else, because I, 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 they didn't know that Dylan was going to be the starter. But I, I visited with Scott after the game, and he said, were they going to start Dylan in, in, in the second game? And I said, well, he didn't pitch in game one. So my guess would have been yes, and then I confirmed it with Seth Thibodeau later, and I let him know. And, uh, you know, I, I think that just would have been special and a little story behind the story had they got a chance to play him again. All right, bud, the season comes to a close, but 
overall a great success, right? A great breakthrough year. It it felt like this was finally Matt Deggs' team. They win the conference tournament. They get to a regional for the first time since 2016. Obviously, they're disappointed, and Deggs said, hey, this is going to sting for a little while, but it sure does feel like this team had a breakthrough season, and this could be a foundation year for years to come, right? After the game, um, you know, I, I the Cajun fans were great because they – they all the guy folks in the second deck all came down and they stood above the dugout and and you know gave the gave the kids uh, you know tremendous ovation as, as they were leaving and then you know a lot of them went out to to where the bus was and uh, when the press conferences were over and everything else and the players came out I finally got a chance to talk to Matt and I gave him a hug and I looked at him and I said we got our culture back and we got our swagger back and this is just the start. And, that, and, and that's the way I feel. Um, this team played Raging Cajun baseball. And they did it Matt Deggs' way. Uh, and Matt Deggs is a very different coach from Tony Robichaux. Now, they, a, a lot of the ideals are the same, but the approach is so much different. And, um, but, but this team... I, I don't know, maybe it's because it's fresh, but there haven't been too many teams I've covered that I've liked more than this one because the chemistry on this team was incredible. And, you know, Tony always said that, you know, chemistry will make a great team average or an average team great. And this team, I think, played above its talent a little bit because that chemistry was so good. I joked, and I, and I said it on, on the air more than once, this was the hugginest bunch of dudes I've ever seen. You know, everybody hugs everybody on a regular basis. But, but it was genuine. I mean, this team was really, really tight-knit. And, and I think that's what makes it sting a little bit more uh, is because they were so close. But I, I think the fans got a chance to understand what a Matt Deggs program is going to look like because I think they did emulate their coach an awful lot jay they lose about what half a dozen guys off this year's team they'll be moving on so what are the biggest losses and what are the biggest areas for matt deggs and his team to address this offseason yeah seven seniors i think there's a chance you lose two more uh to the draft um i think that uh who would that be jay who who are the two guys you're losing your friday saturday sunday guys okay that's the first thing Right. You know, you've got you've got to replenish your pitching staff. And you had some good arms on this team, and I think you had some good depth in the pitching staff. But what you didn't have was an elite guy that on Friday night you just knew you were gonna win. Um, I think Brandon Talley did a great job as the Friday night starter. But, you know, don't look for don't look for his name to come up at draft time uh, unless somebody gives him a shot as a senior draft. I think they need to go out and find an elite arm and also, you know, have some guys that can come in and compete for weekend roles. Uh, I think you have some guys that are going to come back that will compete. But the biggest thing is I think you're, you, you need to replenish this, the, this pitching staff more than anything else. Who are the two guys that you mentioned that you feel are going to be gone probably via draft? It's going to be a big surprise if Tyler Robertson is back. I think he's a top 10 rounds guy. Okay. Uh, and the other guy that, that I, I'm not going to use the word concerned because 
you always hope for the best for these guys. But I think the other guy is Julian Brock. Um, I think that he really started to make a statement the second half of the season. I know that there are some teams that have shown interest in him. The thing about Julian that kind of puts this thing up in the air is he's a draft-eligible sophomore. So he's got plenty of leverage if he wants to negotiate to get his best deal. But I'm, going, I'm not going to be surprised if his name is called probably in the, in the third day of the draft uh, when they do 11 through 20. I think he's going to go there. I think that there are a couple of teams that, that are really starting to show some interest. And over the next week or two, we're going to find out how much that goes up. Because when you get into regional, scouts are everywhere. So he got seen this weekend by a lot of different clubs. And so I'll, we'll, we'll wait and see how it transpires. But I, I'm going to be surprised if he's not drafted. Then he's going to have a decision to make. And what that decision is, nobody knows right now. Talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we're talking all things Vermilion and White. All right, bud. You know, obviously they got to fix the pitching or replenish the pitching, go out there and get themselves a couple really good arms, maybe an elite arm if they can. Going to lose some guys to the draft. Do you believe Matt Deggs is going to do it the old-fashioned way, hitting up JUCO, hitting up high schools, or do you think he's going to dabble with the transfer portal? Well, I, I, I think there's a chance he does both. Um, I mean, first of all, they've, they've gone out and signed – I want to say 12 or 13 guys. Yeah, I know. Um, so, so in, in a lot of them, and it's a good mixture of, of, of high school kids and junior college kids. I think he may look to the portal for a catcher because he has signed a high school catcher. But, you know, Austin Garrett was a graduate transfer. Julian Brock may not be there next year. So I, I think that you can look for him to go to the portal to try to find a catcher to maybe compete with Brock if Julian decides to come back or to be the guy uh, if he decides not to. Um, I, I think that they're pretty much okay at most other positions. You may see him look to the portal for a pitcher uh, or two, but I don't, I don't think that they're going to be real active in the portal because you already have a numbers game um, because of the guys they've already signed. So I'll... Um, you know, we'll wait and see, uh, but I don't think he's going to be heavy in the portal if that's what you're asking. Uh, the answer to that is no. No, he just doesn't seem to be that kind of coach. Uh, and I, I don't mean that to be uh, disparaging to anyone that does go through the portal a lot in college baseball. It just doesn't seem that, that that's really Deggs' DNA, Jay, right? He, he likes scouting. He likes getting the guys and developing guys. Uh, when you're doing the transfer portal thing, you're not really developing players, right? You're bringing in guys well, that already developed. Deggs really enjoys the development part of coaching. Yes, he does. He likes to teach. Um, and, and, you know, here's the other thing. Not everybody is cut out to play for Matt Deggs. He is not an easy guy to play for by his own admission. And so you've got to – not only do you have to have guys who can play, but you have to have guys with a certain amount of toughness and a certain amount of thick skin – uh, and that totally buy into the pack system where it's never about you. It's always about your brother next to you. And sometimes the portal, uh, sometimes those guys aren't there. 
at the position that you want. That is a big part of recruiting when you're Matt Deggs and, and when you have this program. I, I said in one of your first questions that this program got its culture back. Well, there is a culture here, and not everybody can be a part of this culture because I think it's a little bit different because Matt Deggs is a hard-nosed dude, and so are his assistant coaches. And you got to be able to buy in totally, otherwise you ain't going to be happy. If you make it about you, you're not going to be happy here. So you not only have to look if you're in the portal, you not only have to look at ball players, you have to look at character also. Jay, appreciate your time as always, brother. Thank you for your time. Enjoy some uh, little R&R, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. That's Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, joining us here on RP3 and Company, breaking down the Raging Cajuns baseball season. Look, Deggs, Jay's exactly right. Deggs has admitted he's a tough guy to play for. So are you really going to find those guys in the transfer portal? Eh, probably not. Got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we'll update the poll question of the day, wrap up hour number two, and get you geared up for hour number three, jam-packed two guests in hour number three. That's all coming up right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Whole question of the day. Now that LSU season is in the books, 40 wins, 18 in the SEC, but they lose in the regional final to Southern Miss. Southern Miss, the Golden Eagles, will host a Super Regional for the first time in program history. They'll welcome an Ole Miss, who was your three seed and went on a run and won the Coral Gables Regional. How would you rate LSU's season? Whew, tied up here, 44% apiece. Pretty good. 44% say average. 12% of you say disappointing. Oh, good comments as well. Yeah, it's kind of, look, diehard LSU baseball fan has really high expectations. I'll break it down for you. If you're new to the show, Kentucky basketball, Alabama football, LSU baseball, they all have the same expectations. They expect to compete for national championships every single year. And when they don't, a lot of their fan base is disappointed and feel that it's a failure. Are those realistic expectations? No. But that's just the realist, uh, the, the expectations of the fan base. Kentucky basketball, Bama football, LSU baseball. That's the expectation. Every single year. Championship. Competing for championships. When those teams don't do that, their fan base gets very vocal and expresses themselves in a very loud fashion. But I will say, pump the brakes. You got time. Got to give Jay Johnson time here to bring in his guys, time to fix the pitching, time to do all that. If we're still having this conversation two years from now, then you can have cause for concern. But one year... It's a transition year, always is. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three coming up, we'll kick it off with Jarrett Rozier getting the latest news in the world of recruiting. 
That's coming up next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Our number three has arrived. It is glorious on this Tuesday in the month of June. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I know what you're thinking, Ray, RP3. It's the final hour of today's show. You're just going to put it on cruise control, just sit back, and you're not going to give us anything. You're not going to deliver the goods. You've already used all that energy to talk about LSU baseball season coming to an end, talking Cajuns, talking Houston Astros. What else do you have left to give us, RP3? I'm glad you asked. I got great coming up half an hour from right now Hunter Bauer from gopreps.com is going to join us to try to break down and explain the nonsense that the Louisiana High School Athletic Association decided to put together let's make all teams select let's uh, let's just let's just try this see what this does oh they hurt my head he'll try to explain it and make it not so darn muddy that'll be coming up at 8 30. But right now, we're going to give you something that you need, that you want. It's not uncommon for him to feel desired like this, our next guest. But this is his burden, his cross to bear, if you will. The recruiting analyst extraordinaire, Mr. Worldwide himself, Jarrett Rozier, joins us now. Jarrett, good morning. How are you, my friend? I'm making it, man. How y'all doing this week? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just trying to make it as well. I'm trying to be more like you, bud. I'm trying to live my life more like you, which is difficult Dad. because I'm married with child. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, just say it. Just say it. Let's let, let's that's talk. The, a, let's talk. That's a, the good life, man. I'm over here just scratching and surviving barely. Yeah. yeah. How 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 uh, how much ramen noodle do you, noodles do you have in the in the cabinet, bud? Um, so one of my friends, McCall, uh, as she did when I went down with the ankle in the fall, <clears throat> pardon me, as soon as she found out I had COVID, decided to start making uh, quite a bit of chicken noodle soup. And so at some point I got a picture that there was a package waiting outside my door and it was a large container of chicken noodle soup. That was about all I ate for a week or so week week and a half uh with a, a note that was like get well get well soon love you covid monster um and so that that's what got me through there with some some chicken and noodles and whatnot this man's got women bringing him chicken noodle soup when he's bad off just saying that's a flex that's a bit of a flex i'm gonna allow it because it's a good flex to have all right brother let's get right to it some news concerning mcneese I know Gary Goff is trying to put together a roster and look, he's taking over and he's having to deal with guys leaving. That's been a thing at McNeese the last couple of years ever since the Hurricanes hit. But one of his players that he's losing is a pretty big addition 
for LSU. They added uh, Colby Richardson. What does that mean for LSU? Where does that put them for the 2022 class? How many spots they have left? And, you know, what does that also mean for McNeese, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, you could probably speak a little bit more to to Colby Richardson and, and his performance the past few years and and what McNeese loses. Um, he, he's a guy that comes out of New Orleans, went to McMain High School, but was a little bit of a late bloomer. Um, got to McNeese redshirt. It took some time to kind of hit his stride, but uh, in the last few years had, had played in – he overcame an injury and then has played in 27 games, started 24, uh, had three interceptions the last couple of years, which tied for the – lead on the roster between the last two seasons um you know the the two seasons all in in that one calendar year because of COVID pushing 2020 back into the following spring but Colby said he knew that when Frank Wilson left this winter uh and and that he was graduating this spring that with one year of eligibility left he wanted to kind of look around and, and see what the other opportunities might be and I don't know that at that time he realized one would be a home state at LSU that he talked quite a bit about how much he grew up idolizing and said every kid that grows up in, in South Louisiana certainly uh, grows up wanting to wear purple and gold in college. And uh, so he navigated his recruiting process, was committed to Colorado State at one point, uh, but was hearing some from from Coach Frank and, and some of the LSU staff. And then as – this 2022 class continued to, to kind of shape up and uh, you know, some of the dust settled on, on what the, the boards were looking like and, and what players were going where uh, there, there was a scholarship spot there for him. And so he said a couple weeks ago, he got word that, that there was a spot for him in Baton Rouge and that that was essentially a no brainer. And so he becomes the, the sixth transfer addition just to the secondary for Brian Kelly and company. Um, and he joins a couple of new Orleans guys that he knows well, uh, Joe Fusha and, and Greg Brooks from uh, coming from Arkansas, but originally new Orleans, new Orleans natives. Colby said he's actually kin to, to Joe and, and that they, they grew up together. And so there's a lot of excitement around, um, you know, both those families or, or that entire extended family. And a lot of folks in new Orleans that are excited that Colby's going to get that chance to, to go wear purple and gold in his final year. And that puts that LSU uh, recruiting class. They have one spot left they could work with. It doesn't sound like there's anything definitive in the works there. I, I, I do kind of expect that they'll find someone to fill it, but they've got 31 guys now, which is a, a huge incoming group uh, and, and feel pretty good about some of the bases they've covered with it. And so we'll see if they, they fill that last spot or if Colby ends up being the last guy, but <clears throat> another big addition to that secondary that they're rebuilding with a lot of experience to it, as well as a lot of Louisiana flavor. So what kind of role can he actually play on that team? I mean, and this is not a knock on the young man because I saw him play. He can play, uh, uh, but what kind of role is he as mean, is he going to be coming in in a backup capacity? Is he going to be a special teamer? I mean, what do you envision his role being with LSU? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of opportunity there for all these guys coming in, and, and he sort of he'll arrive as as I think the the low man on that <clears throat> that totem pole or pecking order. A lot of those other transfers uh, had had a chance to start arriving and, and acclimating themselves. Um, I think he'll get a chance to play though. Um, and I look at a comparison of a couple years ago 
Darren Evans was a guy that when I talked to people at Nichols, they thought he had a chance to be an NFL cornerback and he ends up transferring to LSU and um, was able to play a role the last couple of years. But the difference here is that Darren kind of arrived as school was already starting in the fall and was because of injuries and whatever the heck happened to, to sting to Derek Stingley with that, uh, that illness that he had going into that Mississippi state game, Darren Evans is suddenly thrust into defending Mike Leach's offense uh, with basically no, no preparation time in a new school a new system and all those things whatsoever. And I think that kind of immediately knocked him and his confidence back and, and took him some time to, to overcome and, and whatnot, but he was able to play a role for that team the last couple of years and is now uh, in training camp for the New York giants. And I saw some, some reports up there that they're hopeful he can make uh, the practice squad this year at least and, and be a contributor for them at the NFL level in the years to come. And so I think some of the, the blueprint is there for Colby Richardson along those same lines to be an outside corner that gets what Darren didn't have in the benefit of actually going through the summer program and fall camp and being prepared when he's thrust into action and can kind of uh, work his way into that role along with some of these other guys. Cause that was a position um, with all those additions to the secondary, I think having some true outside corners is still a position that they felt they were a bit thin at. Uh, and so Colby helps come in and, and improve the, improve the depth there. I don't anticipate that he'd start at least not uh, right away, but I think he, he's a guy that's going to be able to see the field pretty quickly and, and play a role for them in his final college season. We're talking with recruiting analyst Jarrett Rosier. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, a loss for LSU. They lost 2023 commitment earlier last week. North Caddo wide receiver Omarion Miller has uh, decided to uh, decommit. What happened there and what's the latest you can tell us? Yeah, that, you know, a little bit of a surprise in the sense that O was a guy he committed last, last summer to the previous staff. Uh, to at that point coach O and and the LSU staff but O was a guy that when the LSU offer came I knew that it was a matter of time before he committed to LSU and that he was he was one of those in-state guys that had dreamt of playing for LSU and and was going to be a lock for them and so the coaching change happened and regardless of of any comings and goings on that staff or roster recruiting classes O Miller was the the mainstay uh, there was there was no shakeup for him he was he was locked in and, and ready to roll with LSU but uh, as this new staff continued to to look at their board you could you could tell he was getting a little bit neglected and um, was was starting to feel that he was being prioritized far more by some out-of-state schools uh, and wasn't hearing so much from LSU and so he decided to kind of take a step back announced it on Memorial Day that, that he was going to take a step back reopen his recruiting process and, and kind of see what the the lay of the land was now that his his school that he had been committed to had a completely new staff that uh didn't seem to be prioritizing him as much and so uh, it's going to be interesting to watch how this plays out uh interesting to me certainly because he's he's a kid that i you know i admire quite a bit as a as a player and as a young man i think he's a, a great a great kid and going to be already is a great high school football player, but going to be a great college football player and potentially beyond. Um, it, it's a position group that LSU could afford to lose someone at uh, 
you know, recruiting wise, because they are so well stocked at that position and they have some other guys, uh, you know, Shelton Sampson in state and a few out of state guys that, that they're looking at that they're hopeful they can potentially have end up in Baton Rouge, but O's a guy that I think would be open to LSU. Certainly. Um, if that, if that felt like a place that, that he was wanted and going to have an opportunity. And I think if, if he ends up elsewhere, despite how well stocked that receiver room is, he's going to be a guy that's going to make some phenomenal plays uh, for whatever college he ends up signing with. And, and that people will wonder how he got away if he does ultimately get away. All right, bud, uh, let's talk about another offer. It looks like LSU, uh, despite changing coaching staffs, wants to continue that pipeline from Lafayette, Louisiana, over to Baton Rouge. What can you tell us? Yeah, another kid that I'm extremely excited for, have, have a world of respect for him, um, you know, his his talent and just his character, Jawan Johnson, the quarterback there at Lafayette Christian, who I had a chance to see him in his, his first varsity action getting – thrust into the fire against Acadiana week one, his freshman year, because, because of an injury to the senior starter uh, and, and just watching him grow up the last couple of years, uh, continue to work on his, his game and his athleticism. Uh, you saw the, the impact that his track success kind of played out onto the football field, making him a, a dual threat guy that gave folks some fits this past fall. And then he gets a chance to get out there this camp season and, and show some of his ability as a defensive back and has very quickly blown up over the last few days, Nebraska, Mississippi state, Louisiana tech, and, and a few schools took notice and, and extended offers and LSU extended the scholarship offer yesterday. Uh, and so he becomes the second member of that LCA 2024 class, along with Melvin Hills, the third, the defensive lineman a couple weeks back that uh, picks up an LSU offer. Uh, you mentioned that pipeline. They've, they've brought quite a few, Knights over there in in recent years, including the three scholarship signees and Sage Ryan, Fitzgerald West Jr., and Jordan Allen, uh, the last two cycles, and I, I think ha- are you know well positioned early on, have a great chance of potentially adding Hills and Juwan Johnson to that mix. Talking with Jarrett Rozier, recruiting analyst extraordinaire. Yeah, quick question. Is that a Charlie Brown shirt that you're rocking today? Because if it is, it's going to become something <laughs> trending. I just I don't see the rest of it, bud. So that's why I'm asking. So is Hannah uh, five names? We're, we're yeah, curious. It's, uh, we're curious. It's kind of the uh, the Grambling State color combination, or one of the Grambling State color combinations of the Louisiana versus all y'all shirts. Or I know in Baton Rouge, the the U High folks particularly like the the black and gold, um, the this this shade of gold, not the the Saints old gold style. There it is. There it is. All right, bud, I got to ask you before we let you go, you, d- you did a, a, an interesting uh, story. I know talking to you off the air, you've been telling me about it. It's about a, a kid uh, in the 2026 class, which is uh, a, a far, far away from New York, <laughs> yeah. nonetheless. So I'm like, why are you talking about a kid that's part of the 2026 class and is from New York? But the young man, Preston Carey, has an interesting story and, and you're going to help tell it. Uh, what can you tell us, bud? Yeah, I mean, what a, a feel-good morning with, with some of these guys we're getting a chance to highlight. And uh, I am certainly not all that tapped into the New York middle school football scene, typically. But I saw <laughs> this this big 6'5", yeah. six, six, 250 defensive end uh, in that 2026 class uh, down on campus 
this week for for LSU's first camp of of June, and ends up picking up an LSU offer. And he he gained a lot of attention. Uh, had an opportunity to meet with a lot of the staff. You could tell he was kind of a priority guy that was on campus. He he was you know with uh, Jamar Jamar Kane, Corey Phillips, Jim Hoffer, uh, and Brian Kelly as well. They had a chance to chat a little bit. And the more I had a chance to talk to Preston, or he goes by PJ, the more I got to know his story and his background. And his younger brother, Sully, two years ago, right in the, the middle of the COVID pandemic, wasn't feeling well. And their dad, Ben, brought him in to get checked out. And he ends up finding out that, you know, at, at 10 years old, he's diagnosed with leukemia and uh, goes into a, a three-year chemotherapy treatment process and now is currently cancer free so very excited to to hear some of the the progress he's had and, and how he's feeling now but pj talked a lot about what that battle's been like for for sully and for the entire family and how much sully stays an inspiration to him and, and provides him strength to be a guy that can go 1200 miles away and compete against athletes that are three years older than him and, and getting ready for senior year before PJ's even started high school uh, and come out and, and be one of the top five performers on the defensive line for, uh, for the guys that were in attendance on Friday and then pick up his first division one scholarship offer. He was just blown away by the entire trip. Talked so much about the opportunities to chat with those coaches, how much he liked the facilities and environment, loved himself some chimes and some canes and, and some of the other places he had a chance to eat and said he certainly plans to be back and that he expects LSU to be a major player in his recruitment for the years to come. And also mentioned that uh, Sully, when he called back home, may have been more excited about that offer uh, than PJ even was and, and talked about how much as a youngster he enjoyed watching Joe Burrow in that 2019 championship run. So really cool story. Just went live on Tiger Details probably about an hour ago. Uh, folks want to check it out. Bud definitely will. I know it's going to be a great read. Uh, keep up the tremendous work that you're doing with all the outlets that you're working with, my friend. Appreciate your time. Can't wait to talk to you next week with more updates in the world of recruiting. Have a good week, bud. Y'all as well, man. Catch y'all soon. It's Jarrett Rozier, recruiting analyst, reporter, breaking it out down for us. Man, that LCA pipeline just keeps on going, doesn't it? Just keeps on going. And Frank Wilson, hey, he coached the young man at McNeese, pretty familiar with him. Makes sense that they would be able to kind of hook that up, so to speak, and him make the transition from McNeese over to LSU. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up. We'll give you an update on the poll question of the day. Any more comments to get to? If there are, we'll share them. Also have some information concerning the Mariners and the Astros. The Mariners seemingly having the Stroh's number. Got some interesting numbers to share with you about that. That's coming up next as well. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're the one who protects the flock, and that requires an eye for detail. Because when safety and well-being are on the line, it's the details that can save lives. Even when no one else is watching, you see everything. Granger gets you, and we're here for you, and all the ones who get it done with a wide range of safety products and solutions, plus board-certified safety consultants here to answer your questions. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. There are some hosts 
that talk like they know everything. But you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Next Home Cutting Edge Realty is holding their annual Luke Day this Saturday from 9 to 1 o'clock. The charity event benefits Canine Companions, which is a nonprofit that gives to those with disability dogs. Great, great charity. The event's going to be located at Bole Park Dog Park at 411 West Bluebird Drive in Lafayette. Food truck and a Kona Ice snow cone stand will be on site. Hello. Always have fun there. Plus, there's going to be music, treats, and prizes, even some treats for your pups. That's right. All proceeds are going to be donated to Canine Companions. Once again, they help out those with disability dogs. That's Next Home Cutting Edge Realty's Luke Day this Saturday, June the 11th, 9 to 1 p.m. Go check it out, especially if you're a big-time pet lover like we are in the Parch household. We love our pets. We do. We possibly love them too much. First of all, can I break it down for you? I'm going to set this scene. In the Parch household, we have a 14-year-old cat named Samson, who's a straight-up gangster. We also have a dog named Gabby, who is deaf. And it she's deaf, so she doesn't, Like, when the leaves blow in the fall, she doesn't hear them coming. So when they appear to her all of a sudden, while we're on, you know, walking around the neighborhood, my wife and our baby girl, Hattie, all of a sudden the dog goes berserko crazy. (laughs) And she starts attacking the leaves. And then that applies when she's inside as well. So we open up our front door. We have a glass door, screen door. So we open up the door so she can just sit in a big dog beanbag chair, and just check things out, right? Having a good time. Any person who walks on the street, she goes crazy. And when I say crazy, I don't mean, oh, just barking. I'm talking hair on the back, jumping up on the door, paws on the glass, growling at folks. Like everyone thinks that we have the meanest, baddest dog on the face of the planet because of how she behaves when people walk by our house. Yet, this 50-pound dog, being generous there, being conservative, 50-pound dog is nothing but a big old baby who just sits in my lap yesterday in the recliner and is like a weighted blanket, puts you to sleep. Puts my wife to sleep every time she lays on the couch. The dog lays on her, she goes to sleep. Dog crawls in the lap and, and the recliner, puts me to sleep. And we'll just sit there. It's the sweetest dog ever, but she's crazy. Sweet, but crazy. I can't explain it. But that's what we have going on at our house. Maybe there'll be some sweet and crazy dogs on hand for Luke Day for Next Home Cutting Edge Realty on Saturday. We can only hope. 
But that's why we can't take her anywhere. We tell her that all the time. And yes, we talk to our dog who's deaf, expecting her to listen or her expecting her to listen to human commands, period. That's what we do. We're like, calm down. Why are you barking? You know, like literally you go up behind her. She has no idea. You have to kind of, we have to, we have taught ourselves to kind of tug on her leash a little bit and then she'll turn around and she'll go, oh, hey. Yay. And then she gets distracted by things that are uh, reflections. Shadows. She freaks out about shadows as well. That's why I say when she's crazy, she's crazy. She's crazy about other people and then she's, shadows freak her out. That has nothing to do with being deaf. That just has to do with her being absolutely bazonkers crazy. Bananas. Oh, there's a shadow. <laughs> the shadow is not coming to get you. Calm down. Dog. Sometimes we have to put her up because she gets that freaked out about shadows. That's how my mom's dog is. But she, like, pounces on the shadow. Like, it's her own shadow. <laughs> she pounces on it. And then uses her tongue and licks the ground then she's gonna get to the dog that's not there and we all have to take terms our dog sees her reflection sometimes and starts barking like she's surprised who's that <laughs> that's you you big dummy <laughs> and then of course i'll get frustrated with the dog and my daughter has to step in because you know we don't curse in front of our kid but she also is somehow over the years believed that the word stupid is a curse word so anytime daddy slips up and says stupid, I get I get the look and I get the point I get I get pointed at and I get daddy. Why did you say that? Daddy, we don't say that word in this household. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And then I have to remind myself, oh, we can't say stupid. <laughs> so I can't even when I get frustrated, I can't tell the dog that she's stupid first of all she can't hear me she's deaf so who's really stupid there that'd be more like me and then obviously i get fussed at by my daughter for saying the word stupid so yeah jojo does not like silence so like i'll watch videos on tiktok and he'll be fast asleep but as soon as i go pause to like go look at a text he freaks out he's like what are you, what are you doing what are you doing like why is it silent <laughs> it's silent in the house i don't like it i don't he freaks out i don't like it he needs like at least 10 minutes of silence to be okay with it if it's back noise, you can't stand it. Tim Buckley has chimed in, our good friend from Tiger Egg says, who hears falling leaves anyway? When the wind blows the leaves on the ground, it makes a sound. Yes. And if they're like really crisp leaves, they make the, Buckley, like, the crunchy sound. Didn't you live up north? Aren't you from a place where it snows and leaves drop in the fall? Come on, Buckley. I love Tim. I missed him. Poll question of the day. Got to make sure you get those votes in. How would you rate LSU's season now that it's over? 45% of you say pretty good. 42% say average. 13% of you say disappointing. For all the LSU fans that are ready to get rid of Jay Johnson, uh, pump the brakes. It's a transition year. Give him a few years to get his guys in. Give him a few years to fix the pitching staff or actually put together a pitching staff because they don't have one right now. And, you know, give it time. It's a transition year. They won 40 games. They still made it to a regional. Sky's not falling for LSU baseball team. No one has patience. Like, everybody wants to get rid of Jay Johnson because they didn't win the regional. Everyone wants to get rid of Jameis Winston because he got hurt. As Ton so. has chimed in and said on Twitter, pretty, uh, uh, pretty damn good. Let's see how next season unfolds. But before y'all start calling for this coach to be fired or that he sucks or whatever, let the dude do his thing for a full five years before judgment. Remember, most of these guys weren't his guy, weren't his guys. Yeah, you got to give coaches time. Doug on Twitter has chimed in. 
what happened with pitching a bad feel, uh, bad fielding, and Coach Jay's first season would say that they had a good year and would bet coaches looking at the portal this morning. Go Tigers. Yeah, that's the other part of it. They got to figure out how to build a pitching staff, but they got to figure out how to fix their defense. Their defense and that lack of consistent, just pretty good pitching cost them being able to host a regional and definitely cost them in the regional over in Hattiesburg. So, once again, it's Jay's first year at the helm of the program. It's always a transition. But keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on our poll question of the day. We'll give you the final results before we sign off today's RP3 and company. But coming up next, Hunter Bauer, our good friend from GoPreps.com, is going to join us to try to explain what the heck happened with the Louisiana High School Athletic Association's decision to take a bunch of schools that are public schools and then changing them to select schools in a blink of an eye without the vote by principals and whatnot. He'll try to clear all that up for us. That's coming up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 7th, 1966. The New York Mets pass on taking future Hall of Fame slugger Reggie Jackson with the number one overall pick in the draft. The Mets instead select Antelope Valley High School catcher Steve Chilcott. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Trail is putting on a free all-day event this Saturday at Cafe 20.3 at 1500 General Mouton. In addition to free paddling, there's also going to be a party featuring live music to help out the Mile Zero Heroes by raising awareness and funds to build the new Teat Park and Boat Launch at Mile Zero on the Vermilion River. That's right. This is going to go for a good cause. Donations and sponsorships, of course, are welcome. Trail will match up to $20,000 in donations. Once again, Trail's putting on a free all-day event this Saturday at Cafe 20.3. There's going to be free paddling, a party that's going to feature live music to help raise awareness and funds to build a new teat park and boat launch at Mile Zero on the Vermilion River. For more information, visit www.latrail.org. That's www.latrail.org. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. How would you rate LSU's baseball season now that's come to a close with a regional championship loss to Southern Miss? Was it pretty good? Was it average? Was it disappointing? Go vote right now. But right now it's time for us to talk high school athletics and the mess that that is continuing being for the last 10 years. We're almost 10 years on the split occurring in the Louisiana High School Athletic Association. And they tried to do something last week to maybe, I guess, fix it or try to, I don't know, put a Band-Aid on a machete wound. I'm not really for sure what's going on. But to help us clear it all up is our buddy from GoPreps.com, Mr. Hunter Bauer, joins us now. Hunter, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Hey, Raymond. 
Going well this morning. How are you? I'm doing great. First question, uh, what is Eddie Bonine in the executive committee doing these days? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a, it was an interesting meeting, you know, and I was present at it last week. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, a, a lot of people are, are, are saying how, you know, the that the executive committee is trying to um, in the split or put a bandaid on it. And that's really, it's really not the case. Uh, you know, really what they were doing um, was just going upon what the schools voted for in 2013. And that was to um, separate uh, the schools that are able to select, you know, who comes to their school and put them into the select category. And by that, they use the bylaw 4.4.4, which pr calls for the promotion of fair play amongst all member schools in the LHSAA. And they use that to, uh, to, to vote on the new definition that was approved uh, that deemed any of those schools under that definition, whether it be a magnet school, magnet component, lab school, da-da-da-da-da, uh, to, to, to be a select school. And that's really what they did was there, it was just an outdated term uh in the handbook you know it used to be 25 percent outside of your attendance zone uh and you were considered select but since that 2013 vote uh you know when the when the association voted on that there weren't as many charter schools there weren't as many schools that were using magnet components uh within their programs there weren't as many open enrollment uh, policies amongst some of the parishes in Louisiana. So really it was more of a revision of what a select school is defined as, is really what was the genesis um, of last week's vote. What prompted this revision? I mean, it, it's been written that way. Why, what now? Why now? Why is this so important to get done and basically switch the classification for, what, 100 schools over from non-select to select why now yeah you know I, I i really don't know um you know i, I know that the um like i said earlier that the, they just wanted to uh really just update the language within the handbook to represent how the association uh, is represented now. And like I said, you've got more charter schools that are able to draw outside those attendance zones, whereas some of the public schools within a certain parish that that charter school may be in uh, are, are not able to do that. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I know it's been a couple years in the making. I've heard, you know, certain conversations where uh, this may have been thought of, just really never carried out. Um, I think, you know, that the association tried to give its membership the chance to maybe end the split. Uh, and, and, re and like I said, this is not a uh, putting a Band-Aid on ending the split or anything like that. It's really more of a, a update on the term of what a select school shall be called now. Um, and it's just like anything, you know, after a certain period of time, uh, I guess there really needs to be a revision of what a, a certain term shall be called within a rule book or a constitution and things like that. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know really, you know, who started this conversation. Uh, but, you know, was it one that needed to be talked about? I believe so. Um, is this going to be a fix to end the split? I can't answer that. I don't know. That's something that the principals are going to have to decide in January. And, and that's the thing, Raymond. This can be repealed 
uh, in January with a vote. Um, now, it's in effect for this next school year, but it can be repealed. It can be taken down for the next school year if the principals decide that that's what they want to do. Uh, so I don't know. We shall see. It's going to be interesting to, to see how this plays out, uh, especially like in sports such as football, uh, basketball, baseball, softball, things like that. Here's my issue with it. So you're only going to do it for a year, which means, once again, no consistency with the organization yet again. The other thing is, is that I look at this and I go, okay, we have had more charter schools and you want to have those charter schools essentially in the select side. And there hasn't been enough teams in the select brackets to begin with, right? We've had this issue where teams are getting multiple buys and you're only having four rounds of playoffs and it's watered down the competition. I'm in agreement of all that. But here in, say, Lafayette Parish, every public school is now going to have to go compete in the select school except for one. And a lot of those kids that are taking advantage of, say, those academies, if you will, of the arts program or, you know, a science program at one of the schools, the majority of those kids aren't playing sports. So there's a huge issue there where the school may be having uh, a certain uh, uh, tract, an academy, so to speak, to be able to go there. But those kids aren't lining up across the offensive line, Hunter. So you're going to make that team then go, and then you're going to go through this whole process of all these schools and school districts can be able to appeal the appeal this, appeal these classifications and everything like this. This seems like this is going to be a huge mess. Am I completely off base? No, not at all. You know, I asked the question uh, the other day of, you know, do they think that there would be a lot of schools that implemented the open enrollment policies that would, you know, try to appeal or, or, or repeal the, the decision? And, um, you know, I, depending on, I guess, really, Raymond, this goes beyond athletics. Um, and a lot of these parishes, they use these open enrollment policies uh, not for athletics, but for their, you know, for their school, for the education and, and the programs that they offer. Um, so, I, you know, I don't, I don't see a lot of the school districts trying to take away their open enrollment program or their magnet programs just so their schools can play football or baseball on the non-select side. I just don't see that happening. Correct. Um, not, not to say that, not to say that they're going to try to say, Hey, look, you know, this is what our school offers. It's not really a magnet program or, you know, we're not drawing that many kids from outside the parish or things like that. But, um, you know, I, I don't see a lot of the districts fighting that. Um, and honestly, you know, there's been talk and this is not coming from the LHSA side. This is just from things that I've heard. Uh, you know, there's some schools within certain parishes throughout the state that they see it more of as an advantage to compete on the select side because they don't have to go up against certain schools on the non-select side that they usually would meet in the playoffs and and either lose to or, or you know, they just couldn't get over that hump with them. That's just things that I've heard from certain people throughout the state. So, you know, honestly, going into this, I've, I've it's really split down the middle. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that are for this. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people that are really against uh, how this has occurred. Uh, as far as, you know, their school now being considered select, if they're a small, you know, rural school, public school. Um, but then again, uh, it, it all goes back to that 2013 vote and what the membership 
defined as what a select school is, and that is you're able to bring in students outside of your attendance zone that normally a traditional public school was not able to. And that's really, again, what they chose to do last week was redefine what a true select school is, and that is if you are a charter school, if you are a magnet school, if you're able to draw, it doesn't matter if it's one kid with outside of your attendance zone, you are just as a select school as any of the, you know, quote-unquote private schools uh, that were originally defined under that term. So, And it's know. all so unnecessary, Hunter, because here's the thing. I, I It's going to probably – even out the the playing field a little bit more, right? So we're, we're probably not going to have as many lopsided playoff games that we've had, especially in the last, what, four to five years, where we've seen a, a rash of those. So it's going to help with that, where you're going to have, like, Acadiana playing in the select side. Well, that's going to be that's going to make things interesting. How they're going to figure out what divisions they go in, that's, that's yet to be determined. And, and I get that, but all of this is unnecessary. If they would simply... Just get together and say, guys, this is foolish. Like, th- th- this is what it feels like to me as someone who's hated the split from jump. I understand why it happened. I remember why it happened because it started off in football with John Curtis and then Evangel, and everyone just grinned and bared it because they're like, okay, we will concede that we're not going to win football state championships because of those two teams and their recruiting. But then it bled over to other sports, and that's how the split happened because once those teams started winning in softball and baseball, all of a sudden people got angry enough to be able to to, to force the split. My first thing is, look, life's not fair. Not all of us can be winners. Some of us have (laughs) to be losers. You learn more from your losses than you do your wins anyway. But I digress. It, it, no, no. We're, we're and, just we're, we're just right. doing this. We're we're just it, it, we're just doing this, and it the easy solution is saying we're getting rid of the split. Like, be done with it. Go back to what we used to do. First of all, we don't need ten state champions in the state of Louisiana. It's yep. not big enough of a state to begin with. It's exactly. a watered down yep. product, and it's just it, I get I can respect the executive committee's desire to try to do something right to try mm-hmm. to try to do something to shake things up. But is it going to change? Is it finally, is this, do you believe, is this finally going to force the principals to go, okay, this is Paul Ball, we're going to do something about this and go back? Yeah, so, no, you make really good points, because I was actually looking at a list that Ray Butler from 14 and 0 Productions put out earlier, and it was, you know, a list of uh, teams from 2013 on who are now considered a select school by the new definition who have won either won a football state championship or have been a runner-up and the I'll retweet it on go preps but the list is just astronomical of who how many teams uh, have really dominated the non-select side since the split um, but anyways going back to your point you know I think that there have been, yes, it's a mess. I don't, you know, I think the split is ridiculous. Um, You know, not everybody in the world needs a participation trophy. Um, You know, but the way that, you know, it has kind of carried on since 2013, you know, splitting other sports and things like that. I just, um, you know, I I don't know. I don't know, Raymond. I I don't know what the answer is. In my humble opinion, though, and this is not, you know, the views of anybody except for me, I really think that 
this vote last week is a genesis of the association coming back together because you're going to have all these non-select principles that go, well, we're considered select, so what's the point of even having a split anyways? And so, you know, I don't know, and, and I could be totally wrong. They could go into the vote in January, and there could not be a proposal to end the split. There could be a proposal to go back to the things way the way things were before. I could be totally wrong. But if I'm a principal that is a non-select school and I've just been handed over to the select side, I'm thinking, well, what's the point now? I'm going to have to play these teams anyways. We might as well just get all back together. There now, it is, bud. I got to let you go, bud. I got to let you go. I'm hard right. up on a break. I'm sorry, Hunter. Thank you for your time, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you. Y'all have a good one. We got to take a time out. Wrap up today's show. That's next. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Houston Astros will take on the Seattle Mariners tonight. 7-10 first pitch from Minute Maid Ballpark. You can listen to the game live right here on the game. That's right. You're home for Houston Astros baseball. Interesting tidbit of information from the producer extraordinaire. The two teams have faced off 10 times this year. They're 5-5 five and five in this series between the Mariners and the Astros. They've also scored the same exact amount of runs. How crazy is that? For whatever reason, the Mariners have the Astros number so far this season. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jarrett Rozier, recruiting analyst, and of course, Hunter Bauer from gopreps.com. Final results of the poll question of the day. We asked you, how would you rate LSU season? 45% of you say pretty good. 42% say average. And 13% of you say disappointing. Thanks for all who voted on the poll question of the day and all of you that commented on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. That's going to do it for today's show. Coming up next, Kevin Foote and Footnotes. But until tomorrow, when we'll be back on the air 6 to 9, y'all be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote, it will not be a glorious morning, is up next. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.